0: Agree with me in prayer this morning. Father God, we come humbly before you today and just ask that you would minister to our hearts, that you would minister to our minds. Father God, help us to be so uh, mindful of our distractions, but at the same time, uh, Lord, we, we pray that you would remove those. Father God, this morning we pray for eyes to see and ears to hear your word. And don't don't even let me, your messenger, um, use that as an excuse not to hear from you today. Father God, I ask that you would speak to all of us. I ask that there would be something for each one of us that we could take away, that we could apply to our lives, that can change um, how we approach life that we would just be slowly trying to look more and more like you. And so, Father God, as as we meet in this time, we ask that you would deliver us from our distractions, that you would deliver us from all that's going on, Lord, and and that you would give us the strength that we need to to, to listen in and focus on you. And Father God, as, as we open your word, it is your word, it's not mine. So I just ask that you would minister to our hearts this morning that you wouldn't allow me to say what I want to say, that you would empty me of me and fill me with your spirit. It's in your holy name that we pray. And all God's children said "Amen." amen. This morning we are continuing the series we started last week titled, What Do You Say? In this series, we're digging deeper into five questions that Jesus asked in the Bible, but answering them as if Jesus were asking us that question today in our own context. So today, Jesus looks at us and asks this question, what is it that you seek? What are you pursuing? What are you looking for? What is it that you desire most. Now this is a broad question and our answers kind of sometimes depend on the season that we're in or maybe even the day that we're having, especially if you include the physical, mental, emotional, and spiritual influences to this answer. You might be here today and you're looking for financial security in your life. Maybe you're just looking for recognition or purpose. Maybe you're looking for knowledge. Maybe you're looking for friendship, maybe hope, maybe healing maybe truth, maybe you're just wanting some attention, maybe you're looking for acceptance or peace, happiness, or maybe there's a mom out there today that's just looking for some rest, or maybe you're looking for affection. These things are just the tip of the iceberg but at the foundation of this question lies the question behind the question and that is what's motivating how you live your life what is defining in your life what is and isn't worth your time what is the arrangement of your priorities and where in your priorities is your relationship with Jesus Christ because that's the real question That's the heart behind the question. I want to read John 1, 35 through 38. And the next day, John the Baptist was standing with his two disciples, and he looked at Jesus as he walked, and he said this, Behold, that right there is the Lamb of God. And, and John's two disciples, they, they heard him say this, and they followed Jesus instead. And Jesus turned to them, saw them following them, and said this question, What is it that you are seeking? Throughout Jesus' ministry, there were a lot of people that approached him, and not everybody was looking for the same thing. Some people wanted healing. Some people just wanted to see the spectacle. Some people wanted to fight. Some people just wanted to meet the celebrity that was Jesus. And some people were just simply trying to figure it all out. So when Jesus asks us, what is it that you're seeking? I wonder if what he's trying to do is he's trying to figure out everyone's true intent. Trying to help us figure out What is it that we're really after that our intentions and expectations might be exposed for us to see so that we can identify and deal with whatever could be obstructing our path to Him? So when you get ready for church on Sunday morning, what are you seeking? Are you just wanting to make your parents happy or are you genuinely looking for an opportunity to praise the Lord? When you read your Bible, what are you seeking? Are you just wanting to check off a spiritual checklist? Or do you really want to hear from God? When you get on your knees and, and to pray, what are you seeking? Are you, are you hoping that Jesus will do it for you? Or are you asking for the strength to fight through? When you go through the motions of religion, what what is it you're seeking? What is it that you're hoping to find? You're here today. What are you hoping for? Are you looking for Jesus or are are, are you only concerned about what he can do for you? This morning, I want to ask us three questions, and I hope that these questions help kind of sort out our intentions and, and none of this is done in a way to, to wring shame in our lives, but, but I hope that maybe these questions will, will help us become more aware of some of the faith pitfalls that can happen in our lives, and we can avoid those. The first piece is this. If you're following along in your outline, you can fill in the blanks if you want to. What is your appetite saying about your heart? What is your appetite saying about your heart What is your life telling God about what matters most to you? How are your answers answering this question, what is it you seek? So after Steph and I had been married for a while, we went on a vacation somewhere with with her family, and I'm sitting with her dad, Ken, and Ken tells me this story. He said one time, Steph and I were at McDonald's. And, and I don't know if you guys remember this, but every now and then, before the controversy, McDonald's would run this promo about Monopoly. And you could go to McDonald's and you can get a large fry or you know, specific items, in it, and they had stickers on there. And if you collected all the stickers of a certain color on the Monopoly board, you'd win a prize. And, and the biggest prize was Parkway, and Boardwalk. And if you got those two, you won a million dollars. Ken's telling me the story that he and Steph are at McDonald's, and he peels off the sticker, and he sees that it's Park Place, and he starts going nuts. He's like, we just won a million dollars. And Steph's like, Dad, Dad, calm down. Park Place is the one that everyone gets. You didn't win a million dollars. But then Steph sees Ken's face change with complete horror. He says, oh no. He said, just a couple days ago, I peeled Boardwalk off and I threw it away because I thought it was the one that everybody got. So he's telling me this story, right? And he's kind of laughing about it and I'm in tears. I'm like, how close was I to marrying a millionaire? (laughs) I didn't even know it. And and I'm sure that somewhere deep down inside, he was a little bit upset about this, but but it wasn't that big of a deal to him because to Ken, it was just money. But can I tell you what? Ken is what I consider a fisherman extraordinaire. And that man will tell you some stories about some fish that got away that he is far more upset about than not getting the million dollars. And to me, that makes no sense. But that, that's, that's Ken. He loves to fish. You see his heart through what matters to him because that's what it reveals. As do our actions reveal to everybody else what matters most to us. I want to read to you Luke 12, 32 through 34. Don't be afraid, little flock, for it gives your father great happiness to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions, give to those in need, and you will store up treasure in heaven. And guess what? The purses of heaven, they never get old. They don't develop holes. And your treasure will be safe so that no thief can steal it, no moth can destroy it, For wherever your treasure is, that is where the desires of your heart will also be. When Jesus comes to us and asks us, what is it that you seek? There's probably a lot of us. We're not really sure how to answer. But but I think here in the scripture, Jesus is giving us a formula to figure it out. Your heart will always be located where your treasure resides. So where is it that, that takes the most of your time? What do you give most of your money to? What do you give most of your creativity to? What steals most of your effort? And, and how does that reveal what, what you care most about? As well as what you fear most to lose. Sometimes that's just as telling and maybe it's thinking about this, this fake scenario. If your house were to catch on fire, what three things are you taking with you? Me, I'm getting my pillow because I can't sleep without it. I'm getting my camera and I'm getting my toothbrush. I just got to make sure it's the right one. Sorry, inside, inside joke guess you'll have to watch another sermon to figure that one out (laughs) but truthfully from my heart the only thing that i care to get out is my family but see jesus here is telling us this don't don't be afraid of losing your things don't be afraid of your your house catching on fire because my plan is to give you the kingdom and if you lose everything it'll be be okay in fact go ahead and just give it away because it doesn't matter like it makes it easier to, for us to be charitable because we understand that, that our stuff has an expiration date. So when somebody else is in need, it's, it's easier to give generously because we understand that hoarding is pointless. Jesus is, I, I think, attempting to reason with our logic so that we don't invest in the things of this world. He's trying to get, to, to get us to switch our focus from the temporary to the eternal. Because the, our possessions, they can be lost. They can be stolen, they can be destroyed, they can be wasted. Not to mention that none of it, none of it can go with us when we die. Jesus instead is is, suggesting that we invest in things that last, things that last forever. Not to hunger for the things of this world, money, power, fame, whatever else is we hunger after, but to chase the things that matter most. The question is, what is that? I think Jesus gives us an answer this is Matthew 22, 34 through 40. Teacher, what is the great commandment in the law? And he said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And the second is like it, that you shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and all the prophets. Look, I, I, need, I need you to see the beauty in this. The people come to Jesus and they ask him, Father, what what is the most, what are the two most important things? Love God and love people. And when you connect that to this mentality of where your heart is, your treasure is also, what is God saying? He's saying invest in things that matter because there's only two things that we can take with us from this earth and that's our relationship with God and our relationship with other people. He said, Don't focus on building this empire here on earth. Instead, let's focus on building my kingdom so that we can dwell there forever. What does it look like to invest in your relationship with God and your relationship with other people? What, What does it look like for us to care more about people than we do about our things? To make the great commandment our primary focus here on earth? To make our, our, ourselves known as people that love one another. That by our actions we would show kindness and patience and mercy and grace. That, that by our actions we would show a dedication to the Great Commission. That we would go into the world baptizing and, and making disciples of all nations. Not by beating them in the head with the truth, but by loving them the way that Jesus loves us. Instead of storing treasure here on earth, to store it in heaven. And we do that by growing heaven. By adding numbers to heaven through the way that we love one another. So what is it that you seek? Are you after the temporary treasure here? Are you ready to switch your focus to eternal treasure in heaven? Here's the next question. Are you desiring wisdom or permission? Are you desiring wisdom from God or just His permission? I like to think and define myself as a logical shopper. There's some things that I consider when I'm thinking about buying something I consider how much it costs, I consider how often I will use this item. And I will also consider whether or not I can resell it. Because if I don't use it, I'm not going to let it sit in the closet. I'm going to sell it and get money back. Now, my wife, on the other hand, she is a sales shopper. Amen. Now, that's not to say, I'm not not throwing my wife under the bus, and I'm not saying that just because she's here. She is also a logical shopper. But there is something in a sale that activates something inside of her that makes her want to buy everything. So when we go shopping together, she will often ask me what I think about a potential purchase. Now this is the monotony craziness that I have to sort through because there's, it's not always the same. She's not always looking for the same thing. Sometimes she wants my honest opinion. Sometimes she really wants me to tell her no, but every now and then she doesn't give a rip what I think. She simply just wants me to give her permission to spend money. Now, when Jesus asks us, what do you seek? He's asking this to potential disciples. He's trying to figure out if these men are approaching him with their own agenda or are they ready to ditch everything they think they know, and to follow him fully. See, this is exactly how we approach God sometimes. We don't want to hear from him. We're just hoping to gain permission to do what it seems right for us to do. Sometimes we get caught caught praying to God, and we're asking him to bless our plans instead of ask him what his plans are. Or we read the, the word of God in search of backing up what we already believe. See, when we do this, it's so easy to to project our own wants and desires onto Jesus. And listen, it will leave you very, very frustrated because it'll seem like Jesus isn't answering your prayers and fulfilling his promises, but Jesus has no obligation to fulfill promises that you've taken out of context. Listen, this is what happens when we'll, we'll make Scripture say what we want it to say and sometimes verses get misconstrued. We read Luke 6.38, give, and it'll be given to you and somebody will say, hey, you give to the church and God will give you a new car. Just call this number on the bottom of your screen. (laughs) But it has nothing to do with monetary value. What, What God is saying is that if you give it, I will give it in return. If you bless others, I will bless you. I will take care of you. Or we read Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through him who gives me strength. And somehow this means that your team can win the state championship. But this has nothing to do with performance. It's about endurance. Paul is in prison. He's saying, I can survive the worst imaginable because it is Christ that gives me strength. It's he who sustains me. So when we approach God, we've got to ask ourselves a really difficult question. Do you really want to know what Jesus thinks or you just want him to enable your lifestyle? Are you only committed as long as you agree with it? Are you only committed to the precepts that make sense to you or are you willing to trust God Who has a wisdom that can change your life in positive ways. When when Jesus asks us, what is it you seek? He's really asking us, are you willing to listen and obey? Are you? I want to read to you Matthew 7, 21 through 25. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many are going to say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? Did we not cast out demons in your name? Did we not do mighty works in your name? And I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Everyone who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain fell and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because that house had been founded on the rock. There's a really, really interesting paradigm in this scripture. There's there's people who do great things without a relationship with Jesus who are cast out, and then there's those who listen to the voice, do what he asked, and so build their house on the rock. As if to say that God is not looking for you to do great things and save the world. He's looking for people who trust him enough to listen to what he says and to apply his word in their lives. He's not looking for for children who can impress him with with their accomplishments. He's looking for children who he can befriend. Children that will follow him wherever he goes. Jesus never wants us to sacrifice our relationship with him for production. So I I dislike this mentality, this reasoning that says, this is what I do because I've always done it. Now, I appreciate the loyalty and discipline that it requires to, to abide in a specific way. And I can even get behind this mentality, hey, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. But the danger behind this way of life is forgetting why you do it that way. And when the why gets lost in in an ocean of routine, it loses its connection to your heart. So if I send my wife a text message every day at 1 p.m. that says, You're beautiful. I love you. You're the best. The first time she gets that text message, it's like, oh. The second time she gets that text message, it's like, ah. But a year later, after receiving that text message every day, that text just becomes white noise. Jesus doesn't want this to happen between you and him. Where where religion becomes ritual and, and ritual becomes redundant. Where your spiritual disciplines become stale and unproductive. Instead, he he wants his relationship with you to to become a place of refuge, a place of wisdom, a place of healing. So the question is, how do do we do that? How How do we keep a relationship with God that is thriving? Our relationship with God has got to be maintained like any other relationship. So you know what I did this week? I looked up what all the leading psychologists say is the the most important things to do to sustain a relationship. And these are some of the results I got. Number one, communicate needs. And, And to me, my first thought was spend time in prayer. But when we talk about communicating needs, it's gotta be honest prayer. Because if it's not honest, God's not gonna be able to help you out. Don't hide your emotion from God. Pour your heart out to him. He can handle it. Next one was keep dating. I like this one. To me, keep dating is all about quality time, right? It's not just about praying in, in the car to work or, or trying to find ways to read devotionals, but it's about taking time. It's about having a date with Jesus where it's just you and him. And you can completely focus on him, whether it's studying, serving, worship, solitude, reading the word of God, whatever it is. Next one, I love this, was compromise on non-essentials. And I just thought about sacrifice. And as Jesus sacrificed his life for us, I think sometimes he's asking, are you willing to sacrifice your time, your money, your comfort, your status? Next one is this, express love and gratitude. Take time to tell God, I love you. How simple is that? But but how often do we do that? How often do you wake up in the morning just to say something that simple? God, I love you. To be thankful for for who he is and what he's doing in your life and what he's done in your life. Taking time to sit down and and to be grateful to count your blessings. The last piece, I love this. It said, spice it up. And I don't want to go there, so we're going to change that to be spontaneous. And I think the heart of that is just don't don't get stuck in routine, but be willing to to do something a little bit. Differently, Try something different. I, in my life, I felt like I, I hit this place of, of plateau where I, I didn't sense any growth in my relationship with God. And, and, and my, the, the, the things that I did to spend time with the Lord had become so rigid. I was like, if I don't read a chapter of the Word, if I don't spend this much time in prayer, that I don't feel like I've spent time. No, it doesn't have to look like that. Relationships are messy. We, how, how weird would that be if I said, okay, Steph, here's your time. You get 10 minutes here, what do you want to talk about? Like that, that's so impersonal. We don't always do the same things when we hang out. Sometimes you go to the movies. Sometimes you go to dinner. Like that's that's the type of relationship God wants with you. Sometimes you go to church. Sometimes you spend more time in prayer. Sometimes you fast. Sometimes you look for different ways to connect with God. Keep it spontaneous. This is the last piece. Last question. Are you looking for the miracle or are you looking for the man? Are you looking for the miracle or the man? I'm going to describe to you two different types of birthday parties, okay? First birthday party for best friend. This is your best friend in the whole world, right? You're going to have a a birthday party. We're talking huge. All the bells and whistles. Everything you can imagine. Food, trucks, concert party tons of people right the only problem with this party is that you're probably not going to get to spend a ton of time with your best friend because it's just chaos right now different type of birthday party just you and a couple close friends with your best friend go out to dinner tell stories hang out that's it now Birthday parties, these these two, they're for the same person, right? But these two different parties have very different goals. You see that, right? One of them is the fun of the party, but the other one is about being with the friend. When Jesus asks us this question, what do we seek? I think we've got to understand what he's trying to do. I think he's trying to gauge who is there for the miracles and who's there for him i want to read 1 Timothy 6, 5 through 10. These people create constant friction among who are depraved in mind and deprived of the truth, imagining that godliness is a means of gain. But godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into this world and we cannot take anything out of this world. I think what this verse is trying to tell us is that it's so easy for us to focus on the wrong thing, that our relationship with Jesus and the pursuit of faith isn't about the end game. We should never pursue godliness with the hope of what's going to happen for us, with the hope of gain, because that's not what it's about. We're not saved by works. We're saved by faith. We're saved by a relationship with Jesus. And we don't cling to faith merely because we fear hell or or not even because the hope of heaven. It's it's all about Jesus. We've got to get this in our heads, that that Jesus is not a means to get to heaven. Heaven is a means to get to Jesus. He's the goal. So if you're going into this church Christian mentality with the hopes of what you'll receive and return, you're going to be so disappointed. You know who else did that? That's what Judas did. And it didn't turn out so great for him. Judas was one of the disciples. He followed Jesus. And at the end, it was Judas that betrayed Jesus to Rome. And was the reason, part of the reason why he was crucified. I think Judas had different plans. But his plans didn't really work out. And when he knew Jesus had been killed, it broke his heart. He followed Jesus for what he could gain. And because of that, it created this longing in his heart. And because he had a longing in his heart, it created a purchase price. I want to read to you Matthew 26, 14 through 16. Then one of the 12, whose name was Judas Iscariot, Went to the chief priests and said, This, what will you give me if I deliver Jesus over to you? And they paid him 30 pieces of silver. And from that moment, he sought an opportunity to betray Jesus. Judas's price, his betrayal price, was 30 pieces of silver. What's your price? You know, we can pretend that we're nothing like Judas. But let's think about it. What is is Judas doing here? Judas is trying to play both sides. Judas the zealot, he wanted to force Jesus' hand. And at the same time, he's like, maybe I can make some money too. He thought by forcing Jesus to the cross that it would push Jesus to pick up the sword, that he would conquer Rome, that he he would descend to the throne. Instead, Jesus was after a different throne. his actions led to Jesus's death and Judas was so distraught that he took his own life he missed out that death was always Jesus's plan and he gave up before Jesus came back guess what As hard as it is to say this, as hard as it is to hear, we've gotta understand that we are equally responsible for Jesus being on the cross. You know what our our betrayal price was? It was our sin. That's what caused it all. But here's the good news, guys. (laughs) Jesus had a plan. Jesus knew what was happening. Jesus' plan was always to give his life. The good news this morning is that regardless of what we paid or what we were paid to betray Jesus, that's why he got on the cross. Even while we were sinners, Christ died for us. This morning, I, I don't know where you are, but I know that there is great news. Jesus will look at you and he'll ask that question. He says, well, what are you seeking? What are you looking for? And that's the question we're faced with today. I can't answer that for you. I've got to answer that for myself. But this is what I do know. Regardless of what you've done in your life, Jesus got on the cross so that didn't matter. I believe with all my heart that there would have been a way paved for Judas to become a disciple again. That was the point of the cross. But he gave up on himself. And all I'm asking for this morning is to look at you and say, don't give up on yourself because Jesus is coming back.